I want us to, this morning, turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And we will begin what I believe to be an anointed message inspired by the Holy Spirit for God's people at a time when they need it, exactly what they need. In Jesus' name, I receive it. In Ephesians chapter 1, and as we begin to read this, we think about the book of Ephesians that Paul wrote. Most biblical scholars would say he wrote it to the church at Ephesus. Others may say that it was a general letter that was just sent around to the churches. But we know it as being the inspired Word of God, breathed from God for not only the believers then, but for all believers after that, including us today here in Shelbyville. As we begin to read it, let's remember this is the Word of God. And, and start in verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in Him. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise in His glory. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. I want us this morning, as we read these scriptures... And as we listen to a message, I want us to think about being redeemed. I want to think about being set free. Because there's so many messages, and there's so much thought, and it's such an important part of our Christian life, was whenever we were set free from the bondage of sin. And we consider that, and we continue to go back to that. And the devil will challenge that. And he challenges us, being truly free, spiritually free to worship, to serve God, to pray, to live in this life as we pass through this life, spiritually free. Because we went from being completely bound like a prisoner to walking out without any crime or punishment to pay. We've been redeemed. We sing songs like the song that says, Set my spirit free that I may worship you. Set my spirit free, that I may praise your name. Let all bondage go. Let deliverance flow. Set my spirit free. I want to talk about 
when a person has a free spirit, when their spirit has been set free. Because when we think about this, we would ask ourselves, what makes a person free? Well, we talk about redemption. We talk about salvation. But I want to ask us too, is there evidence in a person's life that would indicate that they are free? Is there some kind of outward expression or maybe an inward expression? Because out of the heart, man proceeds to act and to say. So I want us to talk about being free. But I want to title a message this morning, The Power to Stay Free. Because we focus a lot, and a lot of churches stop with being set free. But the Bible doesn't stop with that. It doesn't stop until we have the power to stay free. Spiritually free. Because we can all think back. It all starts with redemption. Truly born again people, they can always go back to a time they were set free. But the question is, did we stay free? After all these years, do we sit here this morning listening to a similar message, reading familiar scriptures, and the question is, did we stay free? Did we stay spiritually free? Turn with me to Romans 3. I want to go through some scriptures. And I want us to look at being free. And like I said before, it would have to start, if we looked at Romans 3, verse 23, it is the very obvious beginning for every one of us, just like every man who's ever lived before us or who will live after us. Everybody will start. If you start at verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. The word redemption, by very definition, is deliverance by payment of a price or ransom. And we all can clearly see that as we, with a sinful nature, born the descendants of Adam, like Jake preached at the youth camp, every one of us were born and we engaged and we began to be in the rebellion, the rebellion against God. Every one of us, we partook in that because of our sinful nature. And we had one thing to look forward to in this life, and that's death. You have no hope. Completely hopeless. It's like a man sitting on death row day in and day out. And then he gets a knock on his door, and they said, you're free. You've been set free. And it was grace that comes in the redemption. It's an act of freeing. And then as we go to Colossians 1, over to where we were at our camp last weekend, and, and I think every message, uh, it was our camp theme, and every message circled around Colossians 1. And as we think about having been redeemed, now we realize there's more than just walking out of our cell and saying, well, I'm redeemed. I guess that is the message of the gospel. There is more. I'm here to tell you there is a message of the gospel about staying free, about not going back in and shutting the door behind you. 
I want to talk about being free. If we look at Colossians 1, in verse 13, it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. We have been redeemed, church, from sin. And we have also been redeemed from the effects of sin. And we have been redeemed from all that is promoted by the devil. That is part of our redemption. We do not have to go through this life partially bound. We were completely set free by the work done at the cross. Because as we came into this world sinful, He died for us that we could have life. And having life does not involve walking through this world in bondage. It is not about being bound. It's about being free. Free from the effects of the powers of darkness. And you think about what God has provided us. Obviously, redemption. Then He sent His Holy Spirit. That He would guide us in all truth. The very Spirit of God dwelling within fleshly man. Think about how important that is in staying free. He gave us His Word. Everybody in here that I know of can read. And He gave us His Word. We have Bibles on every shelf. We've got one sitting in your lap or a device that has Scripture on it. But we can read. God gave us His Word to help us to stay free. And He gave us fellowship with Him. We can come boldly. We can come boldly and pray. He gave us fellowship with man, with each other. Are you all seeing these things are things He's given us to stay free? To stay free. He gave us, like I said before, the indwelling Christ. If you all would like to hear a wonderful anointed message on the indwelling Christ, get the tape or the disc or the broadcast of our youth camp on Saturday night when Jake preached. Here we are surrounded by, we brought all these kids to camp. We've talked about how is the best way that, that we can run the camp. How can we get them um, and meet the needs of these kids spiritually? We gather them all in there. Jake goes to preaching and guess who needed to hear the message as much as anybody? I did. It was a wonderful message. A wonderful message. If you get a chance to, to listen to it, I would very much so encourage you to. And then he also gave us a local assembly. Shelbyville Christian Assembly. Now, I don't know how many of y'all, when I say that, immediately discount that as being, well, that's okay. Let me tell you what it involves. 34 years. Over 3,500 sermons. And those sermons by someone that puts the Word of God in front of him, sits in his chair and says, God, speak to me and give me a message. Approximately 42,000 hours worth of that right there. When you break that down, it would be if you worked a 40-hour work week, our pastor or whoever prepared the messages, believe in God to anoint it, spent 20 years worth of 40-hour work weeks preparing messages 
just to come out here and stand before his family and friends and people that he knows and loves and say, stay free. That's what he did. And that's what we've been given. Along with all the other things from God, God gives us that too. And the generation 30 years ago, as they came into this, they soaked that up. It was a big deal. I'm going to tell you, there is power in staying free. But I want to tell you, if I could sum it in one word, it's surrender. Because it is man surrendering to the indwelling Christ. Man surrendering to the Spirit of God within him. And if you look back and you think about the generation before us that came to the Lord, they forsook it all. They forsook their friends and family. They forsook the things that they thought were so important to them right here in our little town. They surrendered. They waved the white flag. We surrender. This is what we're living for. My question is today, have we in some way lowered our white flag and taken back control of our lives? Have we taken back by our own will and our own intellect decisions, priorities, things that we know we should do, but we now have an explanation because when man does that, when man begins to take control again of his spiritual life, then he no longer is surrendering to the Lord. And when you lose your surrender, then you become bound once again. There's a danger in this. As we think about the word that's been spoken, the word we have, think of it as seed that's been sown. There's been an enormous amount sown into our thoughts, into our hearts as a group of people. The question is, how much of it germinated? How much of it began to grow? How much of it bore fruit? The question today is, did we stay free? Did we stay? That's the message that I believe we have for this morning. Because you take free. Free is to have liberty. Free is to not be hindered. And if we're talking about spiritual freedom, we think about being able to walk through this life, get up in the morning, to pray, to witness, to say, God, use me. Use me today. But there be something on the inside of a man that's excited to be His. That's because He surrendered to the Spirit of God within Him. And He begins to go through His life and He can worship that fast. As soon as the thought comes to His mind, praise God. He can come into a church and He can hear about being redeemed and in His Spirit He says, Amen, because that's my life. That is, that's, that's a me. Because he surrendered. The importance of man surrendering as a Christian, as a born-again Christian, 
through the Spirit of God within him. We can't, we can't underestimate that. We have to consider, are we, as we pass through this life, are we surrendering to that? Because if to be free, free to worship, free to live, free to be a part of what God's doing, and I can talk about that in here today, and week in and week out, and it's crickets in here. It's quiet. My question is, did we stay free? Could it be, is it possible that a person could be free and then slowly over the years become bound again? Where's your white flag at? Is it in your pocket? Or is it still waving above your life and your family's life? The difference in a freed person and a prisoner is very obvious if you think about it. And I haven't been in prisons, but I can imagine if you took me right now, all of a sudden, and made me a prisoner, and I was no longer free, no longer free to do the things that I have loved to do, do be with my family, go and do this and that, be here, you would say that there would be evidence by the way that I look and the way that I act. There would be a change come over me. There may be a, a dullness. There could be maybe a, 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 a what people would say would be being down, being uh, preoccupied, being depressed, whatever you may call it. When a person in their spirit, when you see them, they're down. Because they're bound. And then there comes what's called doubt. Doubt that things will ever be any different. Doubt that what I believe the things to be true are no longer true. Because I'm prisoner. I don't know of anything that's certain anymore. And it begins to be quiet in my life. Or you take a person that's free. He has joy. He has a confidence. He has as he walks around. You can just tell it. He's be he believes in what he's doing today. He has that faith. He has a peace. And he, he has praise. He, he, he's, he's excited. He's positive because he's free. There's something in him that said that you cannot just discourage with a word. Because you could say it's going to rain. And he's going to say, the crops need it. This man, this man has joy. And what does that mean whenever you take this over to the spiritual side of things? A man that's been set free. Set free from certain death. Set free from a life bound by the powers of darkness. And you set him free and everybody's so excited. You know, you talk about in the old days, people coming forward giving their heart to the Lord, and you stand up, and there was a glow. There was something exciting. We can all remember that. And then, after years, what happens if a person loses that? What happens if when you see them now, they have the look of a prisoner? And something's happened. There's been bondage allowed back into a life. And folks, I don't know how to say this any other way except 
the price paid on the cross was to set us free. And it was to keep us free. And when he put his spirit within us, it was so we could live through this life with purpose, free. Free from the bondage of sin. Free from the powers of darkness. Free from being a prisoner. That is what he's done for us. That's what he's done for me. That's what he's done for every single person that's been here for a day or for 34 years. He set us free. And he gave us every single thing we need to stay free. That's the message this morning. He has provided every single thing that we need as his by the adoption, the inheritance. How can a man say father to almighty God? How can he say father? yet live here bound by the devil. You know how he can do it? Because the devil blinds us. Because behind every spiritual bondage is the devil. And the Bible does not say that he is crafty for no reason. Because God knew he was. But folks, the devil does not have control and power over us because of the indwelling Christ within our hearts. He had it. But when Jesus comes into our hearts, we have authority over the devil. And he knows it. And his only hope, the only hope the devil has this morning in your life, is to convince you of a lie. If he can convince you, you will never be set free from this situation in your life. Because if he can convince you of that, then he can keep you in bondage. But if you say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, that's the devil. And for this purpose was the Son of God manifest, to destroy the works which is bondage, to destroy the works of the evil one. Then we do not have to live through this life bound. That is for every single one of born-again people in this church. I don't care if you're a young child or an old person. You don't have to live in bondage. You don't have to have the evidence of a prisoner all of the time in our life, yet hoping and holding on to yesteryear whenever somehow God visited us. But now we're bound. Maybe one day we'll be free. That is not the Christian life. That is not what He is designed for it to be. Is it possible that a Christian can return to bondage? Or is that just my thoughts? I want you to turn to Galatians 4. Because I'm not talking about losing your salvation this morning. I'm not talking about... When we talk about the bondage of whenever we did not know the Lord. When we were lost in our sins, that bondage. I'm talking about spiritual bondage that the devil brings into our lives to hinder us from being what God has for us. That's the bondage, spiritual bondage. In Galatians 4, listen to these words starting in verse 3. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we may receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. 
And if a son, then a heir of God through Christ. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Turn to Romans 8. And I want us to consider, everybody in here, born again, Christians, no matter if you say, I'm already free, or if you say, there are areas that I've noticed in my life that are not as free as they used to be, or you say, I'm bound. Wherever you're at, I want you to read these words. In Romans 8, and start in verse 11, it says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live, then that's not past tense, but if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may be glorified together. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I want us to remember two important parts of staying free. I want us to remember, one, that all bondage is authorized, and it is behind, and it is, in, it is the work of the devil. It is the work of the devil. Any spiritual bondage that you find yourself in as you go through this life, through your work week, coming in here when the songs begin to sing, whenever a message begins to be spoken, when you sit down and read the Word, when you think about your brother, when you think about your marriage, when you think about all the areas of your life, that are influenced by the Spirit of God living within your heart. And you begin to think about ways and things that you are in bondage to. Things affecting you, making you look and act more like a prisoner. I want you to remember that is the work of the devil. That he is behind every bit of it. And I want us to remember, most importantly... If I could say anything that you had to remember is that greater is He that is in you. That's in you. That the Spirit of God lives in you. Then my question is, why does it get so quiet? When you come into a service like this, and forgive me here, this is going to be a rookie preacher's statement. But when you come into a service of such years of tradition and dignity. 
And you think about all these people that have been chosen out of the masses. Chosen not only to have their eyes open, but for the Spirit of God to enter. And they gather together. And when somebody says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, and it's crickets. It cannot be. What's going on? Is it because that's not the way that we respond? Is it because we have gotten past that? Is that not for down the street at the Pentecostal church? Because I can tell you, if I preach this same message at the Pentecostal church, they're excited. They're standing up hollering. In fact, it can almost throw you completely off your sermon. You almost have to stop or answer somebody who says, Preach it, brother. That's life. That's for me. And you have to say, you're right. It is it. (laughs) But there's something about a person who knows he's not a prisoner. And he's hearing words of life that makes him in his spirit respond. Because if all of us have the spirit of God within us and we speak about things like this, Is there something in you responding? I have to think that everybody in here this morning is just about to bust. (laughs) Yet, they have decided we don't want to be disruptive. And there we'll go. We'll continue with our message. (laughs) I want us to think about the fact that do not hesitate to express and allow your spirit to agree with. Because when a man says, Amen, you know what he's saying? That's me. I agree. I agree. I too have partaken in that. I witnessed to it. The old timers say, do I have a witness in here? That's what he was referring to. Let's try this. Do I have a witness in here this morning? Amen. All right. Okay. I want us to, as we go through this message, I want us to look at an Old Testament account of being free and the struggles of staying free. I want us to go back to Exodus a very familiar story, but I don't know about you, but I love to add and to kind of cross back and forth a message from the Old Testament and a message in Scripture of the New Testament church. I like to see that because God has not changed. And a lot of times we can learn about the way that God responded from the Old. You all know that. I'm telling you something you already know. All right, go to Exodus And as we pick up this story, you remember that Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers. They said, get rid of him. He went to Egypt. God had a plan. When the famine came, through a series of events, he called his family to come to Egypt. Jacob, his father, and it says 70 persons. And as they came, and Joseph died, and the people settled in Egypt, and they began to multiply The Bible says they multiplied at an increasing rate. And then as that Pharaoh died and generations passed, a new Pharaoh came, and he said, we've got a problem. There's more of them than us. And if an army comes against us and they join them, we'll be overthrown. So he said, let's make their life bitter. Let's put them in bondage. So they, and I don't know how that happened. I don't know how they went from one day not being to today you're working for me and I'm not going to pay you. 
but it did. And they were, over, they were put into slavery at some, some point in that. And then it says, you know, they continued. Even with the hard bondage, they continued to multiply. And the Pharaoh said, we have to do something. So he called all the Hebrew midwives in. And he said, when a, when a mother's giving birth, and it's a male child, kill it at birth. But it says the Hebrew midwives, they feared God, and they didn't do it. And there's all these Hebrew boys. So the Pharaoh calls them back in and says, what, do you, what part of what I told you do you not understand? And remember, they came in with a story, and they said, Pharaoh, you don't understand. These Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're lively, it says. They're lively. They're giving birth to these babies before we can even get there. But they said that because they feared God. But bondage was about to get worse because Pharaoh said, okay, when you find a male child, throw it in the river. And there were a lot of Hebrew babies on the banks of that river. Folks, there's a lot of babies on the banks of America as well. And there was judgment that came, and judgment will come on our nation as well. Because whenever you think about that, it was a very... Can you imagine a more difficult time? Not only as a slave, but you are not able to have the one part of happiness, and that would be when you go home. You don't have it. And in this, in this time, Moses was born. And you remember his mother kept him hidden because to be found was to be chucked in the river. She kept him hidden for three months. And she said, I can't anymore. And she put him in his little boat, and she surrendered. That was it. And you know the story Moses found. He grows up, kills an Egyptian. They send him out. He's in exile far away. And the labor and the, the agony of being in slavery and not even being able to have the ones around you that you love not even be able to have any normalcy at all. That's bondage. That's bondage. We pick up our story. If you go to Exodus 2, in verse 23, now you remember this has been 430 years that they've been in Egypt. Now it happened... In the process of time that the king of Egypt died, then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. And he turned, and we go to the story wherever he went and spoke to Moses. Because as God acknowledged them, God had a way to set them free. And it was going to be through Moses coming back. So we went to the burning bush. And if you go over to chapter 3, in verse 7, says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because they're taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Pezzarite, and the Hivites, and of the Jebusites. That's a lot of them, boys. That's a lot of people. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of children of Israel has come up to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. 
Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And you can remember, to make this story as quick as possible, you remember that Moses said, well, I can't speak. I'm not gifted in speech. My mouth is, is not going to be able to do this. Remember God answered and said, who made your mouth? Who made your mouth? God made his mouth. God was enabling him. So he goes, and he, he goes before Pharaoh. He went to the children of Israel, and he told them. You talk about the shortest sermon. He said, what do I do when they ask me who sent me? He said, you tell them that I am sent you. That I am. And he went before them, and they said they believed. And then he goes before Pharaoh, and he says, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh laughed, Who's your God? Who's the Lord? And you all know the story over and over and over. Six times he went and said, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. His people that were in bondage. And as he did that, and they continued on, we had all of the, uh, the plagues that came upon them. All the ways that God showed himself strong on their behalf. All these miracles. And he kept going back to, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. Over and over. Because you know why? It was his will. It was his will that his people would be set free from bondage. And I want to tell you this morning, it is still his will that we would be set free from bondage. Right now today in our lifetimes. It is not the will of God for us to live in bondage. And as they came out, finally, as we know the story, as we go on to uh, chapter 6, actually turn on to 14. I want to move on here as quick as we can because you all know the story. In chapter 14, Exodus 14, now we find them, they've left. They've been delivered. A great deliverance. They knocked on doors. They asked the Egyptians, give me what you have that's valuable. And they said, we'd be glad to. And they gave them all, just get out, just leave. And they left out of there triumphant. After 430 years, they've been set free from bondage. And as they move out across in the path of the wilderness, they come to the Red Sea. See, it was one thing for them to be set free, but it was another thing to stay free. Because if our lives only consist of when we were set free, what do we do when we get to Red Seas and difficulties in our life? As we pick this up in 14, as the people came to him, as they seen the Egyptians marching against them, in chapter 14, verse 13, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And that is the story. And you know how they went, out, went on into the... He opened up the Red Sea. They passed through there. And then the Egyptians. Can you imagine the Egyptians? They just said, well, let's go through there too. I mean, think about the logic behind that. Folks, God is in control of our lives, and he is in control of our enemy. He is in control of every form of, of 
hindrance that comes against us. That is our enemy. That's the devil. God is in control of that. And they ran right down in there and the sea come over them. Then we get to chapter 15 and they had themselves a song service right there on the banks. And they worshiped God. And they went through all these things because now not only have they came out of bondage, they've seen God deliver them after they'd been. But then it talks about after three days' journey, they ran out of water. And here we went again. There is a continual, a continual theme about this. And it goes back and forth, back and forth. It is about surrendering to the Lord. Because as soon as people of God, and that would include them and us today, as soon as we decide that we have to figure this out, as soon as we decide that it is us that He created that is greater than He that is in the world, that's whenever we lose. That's whenever we begin to lose the fight. That's when we begin to be bound once again. Because it is not greater is He who was created. It's greater is the Creator that lives within us. That is what the point we have to remember. Because otherwise we've lowered our white flag. We put it at half mass and said, I'll surrender halfway. And all through the Word of God, when His people surrendered, He delivered them. He delivered them. And when we surrender in here, He will deliver us. He will deliver us from bondage. And then as they go through, and, and we're completely going too long on any of this. But you know, it, it led them to chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments. And that's all about surrendering of man's thinking, man's desires, man's wants to the rule of God. Jake said at camp, and I believe he quoted John, but about the Word of God being about God's people in God's land under God's rule. I get that right. God's people in God's land under God's rule. Isn't that us too? Isn't that us? As we pass through this life, it's God's people in God's land under God's rule. So if we were to fast forward to ourselves, let's, let's, turn, the, let's turn the spotlight off of the Red Sea and the Egyptians and let's look at Shelbyville Christian Assembly. Let's look at each other. Let's look, not at each other. Let's look at ourselves. <laughs> look at enough of that. Let's look at ourselves. <laughs> and, uh, and consider some things. Are we free this morning? Are we free to love each other? Are we free when we see a brother who has fallen into a difficult situation and he did it on his own accord making bad decisions? Because if a child, if your child makes bad decisions and gets himself in trouble, do you say, that's his problem? Or is there something within you that says, I want to help you get this right because I love you? Are we free to love each other like that? Are we free to surrender to the Spirit of God? Because God is love. 
Are we able to? Because I think every person in here, I'll say it, I know every person in here who is born again has love in his heart for his brother. It's scriptural. And if a man does not express that, it's because something has bound him. Something is keeping him from being able to express what God put in his heart. So my question to us is, are we free to love each other? To truly love each other? Are we free to confess our faults? Or we want to just find faults? Because there are professional fault finders. It doesn't take long to look through a man's notes of 30 years to see the little scribbles that he has every which way to know that there have been professional fault finders in our midst. And that's something that has frustrated a preacher, and it is a spirit that's not the Holy Spirit. Because confess your faults one to another is what the Word of God says. Are we free to confess our faults? Are we free to be able to say, I did that. I own it. Because our society says there's a reason, there's an excuse. You've got an excuse. Think about it. Are we free to worship God with all of our heart? Are we free to? Because if we surrender to the Spirit of God living within us, we will worship God with all of our heart. And the more you surrender, the more you'll worship. That's why when we get to heaven, it's continual worship. Because it's continual surrender. That's what we're headed to. But then as we look at this fine August morning, and we think about today, did I worship God with all of my heart? Or did I have something that held me back? If there's something that held you back, that's the work of the devil. Because greater is he that's in you. And God's spirit within you is going to prompt worship. Amen? Amen. What about in our marriages? If God put people together and he gave them purposes and the two became one, a wife will enable her husband to fulfill the purpose God has for him. And the husband will enable the wife. And if it becomes to get out of kilter, then you'd have to ask, has there been bondage into my marriage? What's going on here? Because we know that what it says in Peter, 1 Peter. Turn to 1 Peter. This is going to be for free. Y'all put your checkbooks up. This one's for free. We're going to go to 1 Peter. And I want us to consider just quickly what the Word of God says about our marriages. And we could pick it up in, say in verse 3. He's talking about the women. For let your adornment be merely, not be merely outward, arranging of the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. What a statement. The incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. I'll tell you that 
It's precious in the sight of the God because the Word of God says it. But I'll also tell you, it's precious to a husband because I happen to be married to one that has a gentle and quiet spirit. I don't know how you would be able to put a value on that. That's a precious thing to be married to someone like that. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. One of the greatest acts of strength is a woman submitting to a man who doesn't deserve it. That's one of the greatest acts of strength. And the way a woman does that is she surrenders to the Spirit of God within her. Because you see, everything that we face in our life that can have us bound, always, except for ignorance and heresy, comes back to man surrendering to the Spirit of God. It comes back to that. If you think about submission... It is about a woman raising her white flag and saying, I'm going to surrender and do what it says in an act of strength. I'm going to submit to a man who maybe doesn't deserve it. And men, listen, we're not off the hook because I think it is a very serious thing to be a hindrance to our wives. How in the world can we live and call ourselves children of God and have His Spirit within us and act in a way that's so proud and arrogant that we are the hindrance to our wife's spiritual walk. Do you think that we can somehow escape being judged for that? Because of silly pride and arrogance? This idea that, well, I'm the head of my house. You are the head of your house. But the only way you're the head of your house... The only way that you glorify God in what you do as a husband is if you surrender to His will. Because in verse 7 it says, Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. We spend so much of our time trying to change our wives. Tell them that's the way it is. And if you don't like it, it's because of your past. What if we spent that much time trying to understand our wives? Giving honor. What happens when you give something honor? You give it credit. You strengthen it. You enable her. Because when a wife receives encouragement and, and is strengthened and is honored by her husband, as it says in Scripture, then suddenly she does not have the hindrance in her life of being difficult to submit to you. She's strengthened. She is enabled. That's what it means to have a marriage that's not bound. Because our society, if you listen to society, and you listen to pride and arrogance, and you listen to every other form of bondage that's the work of the devil, your marriage will be bound. And years will pass. And it'll stay bound. Because we don't realize that our job is to surrender 
ourselves and to live with our wives with understanding, giving honor. That's what the Word of God says, that our prayers may not be answered. Our prayers would not go unanswered. All right. Okay, another thing is being a part of the assembly. Is it a hindrance to be committed? Is there something in us that we just aren't comfortable or able to do that? Because how many preachers this morning are pounding their pulpit saying, people need to be more committed to their local assembly? Well, most everybody. I promise 100% of them that have a pastor's heart because they love the people. They can't stand the idea of the people not doing well. So they say, you got to be here. you got to be committed. Is there something within us that seems to be somewhat bound about being committed? Because if this church is the local expression of the body of Christ that he has put us in to develop, if, this is a, if that is us, then it is to be alive. It's not just a dead organization. It's not just something that, well, we get a preacher, we get somebody to lead the singing, we make sure somebody unlocks the door, and we make sure that the air conditioner's on, because if it's not on, I'm not going. Because it's not something that we're committed to. Are we bound from being able to commit to a local assembly. This is a critical time in our church because we're going through a transition. Ask yourself, are you a part of this assembly? Are you a receiver only or are you also a giver? Because a lot of people view the church as being a spiritual soup kitchen. We go get fed and we leave. We're glad they do it, but we don't have any other part. Because as you look at all the moving parts of a body of believers, everybody having a gift, everybody having an ability that God gives. Preachers don't create gifts in people. They just stir them up. They, don't, they just give them opportunities. God gives the gift. God puts it in their heart. It is a responsibility of a local assembly the leadership, to stir those gifts up, to recognize them, to prompt them, and to protect the people, to protect them from each other, protect them from heresy, to be able to do that because we are a living being as a body. And as we think about that, it becomes very difficult because a lot of people are not free to be committed. They just want to come in and receive. And if at any point, three messages in a row they didn't receive, they're looking for another church. How in the world can we function as a body like that? Why is it? If the same Spirit lives in each one of us, then why in the world would we not see the joy and the privilege of being able to be part of a Spirit-filled body and being committed to it? Because if something in us can come in the door in three meetings in a row say, I didn't like the way he preached. 
I just didn't like his delivery. He flopped around up on the stage like a bird trying to fly. Something's wrong with him. He carries on and gets loud, and I don't like it. Okay, love your brother. Be a part. Let the Spirit of God that's within you witness to the Spirit of God that has been the man beside you. As living stones that every joint supplies. I want to challenge the idea, the traditional thought about being committed to a church. Because I believe that if a person can be bound in this area, then God can limit him from being able to be useful. Because if he can keep him separated, he can keep him away from like-minded believers. We focus so long and said, well, you can't say that because you're putting too much emphasis on a man. My relationship is with God. I'm putting emphasis on your brother and sister. I'm putting emphasis on the fact that the Word of God is here and it's alive and it's present every week and that God has put us together. I'm not trying to raid a man's preaching. I'm talking about spirit-filled people that have something within them when they see each other that is not in bondage, that's free to love, that's free to express their faults, free to pray for, free to be able to reach out and say things of encouragement, free to be useful to the work of the Lord. And in doing that, the church has something called unity. And then you wait and see if the joy of the Lord doesn't fill this place. Because I don't know about you, but I want me and my family to be under the spout when the glory comes out. Because it's coming, folks. It's coming. It's coming. I wanted to say things this morning about experiences this last week, but I'm not going to. Because what happens is, a man has to be spiritually mature enough to know that when he gets up and talks about an experience he had, he's taking the focus off of the Word of God. And when that man fails or is gone, the people are left empty-handed. I'm not interested in that. So I just say, I'm going to be under the spout where the glory's coming out, and the glory's coming. Amen. Amen. And there's room for everybody here, and I hope that next week and weeks after that, that we can't fit in here. Everybody hold two babies because we don't have the seats. That's what I want to see in this assembly going forward. i tell you what I have done this morning. I've never done this. I have preached half of the sermon, and we're out of time. I wanted to tell you about the craftiness of the devil and how that there are, there are things in this life that he has presented to the church in 2015 that are deceptions, that are things that if we're not careful, they will make us bound without us even realizing it. I wanted to talk about misunderstanding grace. Because if a person misunderstands grace, then what he does, he continues to allow himself to sin. He takes away the sting of sin in his life. And the message of, that you hear about it's all grace, they consider that freedom. Folks, it's bondage. Because what it is, it takes a person. It takes a person and it puts him back in control. It takes a person and says, you can do whatever comes along because 
you're this flesh and it's all grace. And the man never surrenders to the Spirit of God living within his heart. Because if the Spirit of God lives within your heart, then your life is going to be directed towards holiness. Turn to Titus 2. I just want to briefly read this scripture. In Titus 2.11, and maybe we'll come back to this at some point in the future, because this is a wonderful message. To preach on the message of grace is liberating. First of all, to think about it's grace that caused us to believe and it's grace that keeps us free. But it's not because that we are free just to be any way we want to. It's because it is grace that opens our eyes to see our need for salvation. And when that happens, and we receive the Spirit of the Lord, then all of a sudden, it is grace that enables us to surrender our lives. Because it is about surrendering. The power to stay free is in surrender. Titus 2, verse 11, says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, in this present age, looking for the hope and glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Misunderstanding grace. I'm going to leave that one. Another thing that his bondage, and this is an entire message, and it's a wonderful message, the craftiness of the devil way back. And he still has this same effort to have people in bondage. And that is the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The leaven of it. Because when you look into that and you begin to study, well, who were they? And I did that this week and thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's really eye-opening. Because all of a sudden you say, uh-oh, could there be some similar things here? Is there nothing new under the sun? Could it be that in some of the ways they were bound, we have become bound? Could it be that some of the rebukes they received hit pretty close to home? Because I've always thought of the Pharisees and the Sadducees as just being this off-the-wall crazy bunch of people like Muslims or something because they're the ones that, you know, they receive such rebuke. For another day, leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And another, the final point I was going to make, and it is two sermons. And that is one way that we are bound is the lukewarm heart. The lukewarm heart. Because as you study through about the lukewarm heart, not being one thing but not being another. And a lot of times the lukewarm heart involves person's intellect, reasoning and excuses, they begin to say, well, I know, but, or maybe someday. And God says lukewarmness is rejection by him. He said, I'll spew you out. It's a great message. But I want us to think about this morning being free.
Not only being free, but staying free. God has given us the power to stay free. He opened our eyes. He offered us an opportunity. He gave us redemption. He redeemed us. Something in your heart, witness to that. We, he enabled us to see our strength is in our, I'm sorry, our strength is in the presence of God living within us. That is our strength. So when we start thinking about how can I do or how can I be or I don't see how this is going to work, all he's wanting us to do is surrender to what he's done, to surrender to what he did within our hearts. He put his spirit within our hearts. And then he gave us the spirit of adoption that we can say, Father. Every one of us that are truly born again, every one of us have become his children. And he saved us and he brought us this far and he's done all these things so that we can stay free. And everything else is a lie. The rest of it is a lie. I pray that God would set every single person in this church free from any entanglements, any bondage, any work of the devil that has crept slowly into our lives, that we would recognize it. What is it that keeps my head hung down? Why are my hands hanging at my side? Why is it that when I hear about the goodness of God, I hear about it in song. I hear about it in scripture. I hear about it in message. All is quiet within me. That's because bondage has come in. And that's not the plan that God had for us. Let's go back to Ephesians 1 where we started and we'll close. Let's just pick it up where we left off in verse 15, Ephesians 1 and verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Listen to me, church, in verse 18. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of His glory, of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power. That is the power to stay free. The power of Jesus Christ living within your heart. The power to stay free. I want, to think, I want you to think about Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, and consider it and ponder it and think about today as a born-again Christian. Today as someone who believes. Today as someone who's been redeemed. That was written for me.
That's the word of God to me today. And as we surrender, we will find the power to stay free. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time that we have, week in and week out, Father, here as a church. God, I, I want more for us. I want us to be free, Father, to serve and honor and glorify you. God, I pray that you would open our understanding and you would give us the power that comes from your Spirit to destroy the works of the evil one. Every person, every situation, speak the name of Jesus into the lives and the issues and the problem in the lives of your people. We plead the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross and we receive, Father, your spirit in the power that comes with all that we understand and all that we know, we receive it for us as a people, as families, and as a church. God, again, have mercy on us. With all that I know how to say, God, just have mercy and begin to do your work within us. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All the men that have been asked to come up, come on up. We're going to have communion this morning, as we do about one time a month. Can it get to the point, as we take communion, that we can forget why it is that we do what we do? I can read to you this scripture. I don't know about you, but could probably quote as many times as we've heard it as we take communion. You have to hold on a minute. I want to read as we, we look here at 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I want us to think about what Jesus did on the cross. Because as just like man wants to take the sting out of sin, God can't stand to look at sin. It's such a big deal that the only way that he could provide an atonement and a redemption for us was to send His only Son to die on the cross so that we could have life because God cannot stand sin and we were all bound for judgment. You and I had no chance. But God made a way and He sent Jesus to die on the cross. And as we take communion, we do it in remembrance of being free. 
the way that we were set free. So I want us to consider that. I live in 